Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We call giving worship, and that's just putting it right in practice. Amen. This morning, I said you ain't gonna get me for a while. I need to worship the Lord here. Amen. And everybody's just watching, waiting on Kevin to jump with him, and so just. <laughs> No, no, we're glad. We're glad. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. It's good to have Sister Trout back with us after surgery and recovery. And I was asking her this morning how her male nurse home care was doing, and she said she thinks she'll keep him. And so I'm glad that there's no issue. <laughs> glad there's no issues there. And uh, he said he's been trying to cook for her. He said he's not trying to take it away from her. He's just trying to. <laughs> <laughs> he did trying to cook for it, but uh, and such. So, thank for that. Good to have Sister Margaret with us. Amen. Been a few a few services go by since she's been able to be here. So glad to have her. Amen. This morning, and I asked I asked Chris who he had with her, and he said a loner. So that's what he said. He said a loner. I can't believe that. Yours is coming after service. Just let you know she still probably put you over her knee. But amen. <laughs> Glad to be in the house of the Lord. Everybody that's in the house of the Lord today, each one, people that have been sick, that are back, so and so forth, as is the season. Amen. We're going to be turning to Exodus chapter number four. Exodus chapter number four. Glad to have the, the youth class in with us today, adulting. Amen. Here this morning, as Brother Malone tells us. So uh, we're going to start with verse number 10. And just real quick. This is really for my purpose to know how I'm approaching next Sunday. And it might be easier to ask this question. Who's going to be here on Christmas Day morning here at the church? Who's going to be here? All right. Just trying to get a few hands here to try to see what my audience is and how I can mistreat you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Exodus 4 verse 10. Let's see what the word of the Lord says. I hope this turns out okay today. Uh, my wife and I, we went, her great aunt had passed away and had a major play in her life. And so we traveled about three and a half to four hours into Missouri yesterday to a, a, a service and then came back home. And so I was finishing this up as she was driving. So if like toward the end, it gets really scattered. She was driving. I might not even have the right words typed or anything. I, it could be X, Y, Z, T, P, F. My hands were bouncing around on the keyboard. And if it's perfect, as she was driving. I will tell you, though, we did do brainstorm for the title. I, ha I called in some help. And so, uh, Lifeline, whatever it was. So I gave her the synopsis of what I'd be talking about today. And we went a few miles before we came with something that we landed on. Okay. Verse 10, y'all standing. Thank you. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb or deaf, or the seen or the blind, have not I the Lord. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And just the first phrase of verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. For a little while this morning, this is not a Christmas message. That was a few weeks ago. The light shined. Uh, but this morning, I want to minister this. God's tipping point. God's tipping point. All right? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you, Jesus. God, we're so gracious, Lord God. You are, Lord God, great and greatly to be praised here. God, we have witnessed and acknowledge your presence. 
God, in this place, through the songs this morning, we have felt, God, that you come by and brush us, Lord, on the shoulders, Lord, with your presence, God, today. I pray, O Lord, you would continue to minister, Lord, through the ministry of your word today. Anoint my mind and my lips. God, I submit myself to you, God, for your purpose and your plan, God, in this service today. God, strengthen, Lord. God, I pray us by the word. God, it's a word of faith. It's a word to live by, Lord, and we'll magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen of the church. Say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Several chapters removed from this one going forward into Exodus chapter 34. Moses is found climbing up the mount of God yet another time. But this time he has in his hands the second, the second tablets of stone that still yet need to be written on. Uh, because the first tablets had been broken. And so Moses ascends the mount with the second tablets of stone. He's meekly approaching the Lord because he knows he's the one that cast the first uh, set of stones on the ground. And he had done that in his anger. And the Lord, as he's up on the mountain, the Bible describes that the Lord passed by Moses and began to declare or proclaim some different things unto Moses. And one of the things that the Lord declared is that he declared his long-suffering. He declared his long-suffering that, that is pictured and illustrated by God who patiently and consistently shows and keeps mercy with his people. He shows his long-suffering and patience by uh, the constant forgiveness that he gives us for iniquity and transgressions and sins and so he was making that declaration and that proclamation before Moses of his long suffering even the psalmist David in Psalms 86 and 15 says but thou Lord art a God full of compassion and gracious long suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. It's not uncommon in scripture for the long suffering of God uh, to be paired with the mercy of God because God often illustrates his long suffering through his mercy. He illustrates his patience toward us through his mode of being merciful with us. For that matter, whenever you read in Galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and meekness and goodness and all these things long suffering Suffering is a part of them. Long suffering is a fruit of his spirit. And so when we have received the spirit of God, hopefully we, we shine forth and example that as well because we have his spirit, which long suffering is a part and parcel of. The apostle Paul even said it like this in the New Testament scripture. Uh, he was admitting some things or owning some things of his own life. And the apostle Paul says, he says, I was a blasphemer. He's just making it know. I was a blasphemer. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. I was injurious to very many people who uh, sought to preach and proclaim the name of the Lord. He even said in one place, he said, I am the chief of sinners. So he's just laying out, you know, the black and the white, the dirty, if you will. I'm a blasphemer, injurious. I was a persecutor. I'm a chief of sinners. And yet he followed it all up basically with this. But God was patient with me. God was patient with a persecutor and God was patient with one that was a chief of sinners. His, his long suffering, Paul even described it like this, that the long suffering and the patience that God had in, toward me in my life, he said what he basically was doing through me, through my life as an example, was setting up a pattern, a pattern of long-suffering and patience that he would show to each and every individual in this world. He said he, he was setting a precedent in my life that, look, I'm, I'm patient and long-suffering to this guy who's the chief of sinners, who's, who, who, who has persecuted and blasphemed and done all these things just to let everybody know that if he did it in my life, he can do it in their life as well because no doubt they have been maybe at lesser, lesser degrees of, of getting on God's nerves, if you will, 
than I have. And so he's just using me as an example. And he told me as much as he told every minister of the gospel, he told us then to emulate that same patience, to practice it among other people. God is so long-suffering. God is so patient. As a matter of fact, if you ask Jeremiah in the Old Testament scriptures, Jeremiah would tell you that God is almost long-suffering to a fault, that he's almost patient to a fault because God was so immensely patient with the adversaries of Jeremiah, with the persecutors of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah feared at a place in Scripture that his adversaries might destroy him before God was wearied with their, their shenanigans. He thought, God, are you ever going to bring down the hammer upon these that are coming against me? But God was even so patient with these people that were attacking Jeremiah. Jeremiah's wondering, God, hey, I'm yours, you know. I'm the one that's yours. But God's long-suffering and patience is almost just so extreme that even to a fault, Jeremiah thought that God was being long-suffering. And so God does. And I think there's many that sit here this morning can attest to the fact that God does endure long with our errors and with our mistakes and our blunders. And we appreciate, I hope we do today, that we appreciate the patience of God. We appreciate the kindness of God. And sometimes we want to be selective uh, about when or with whom God is enduring toward somebody or merciful toward somebody. But we savor reading the passages in Scripture about God's patience. God's patience, for instance, in the days of the flood. With Noah's generation, he was a patient God. The Bible says it was a time, uh, much like maybe even our own, but it was a time of great wickedness and corruption and that there was evil continually in the people's imaginations, in their hearts and in their minds during the days of Noah. But the Bible says that God waited. God waited. God, God was patient for a family to build an ark for the saving of their people. God was patient for, for Noah being a preacher of righteousness. Perchance, somebody that heard the message would change their view, change their ways, alter their steps. The Bible says it like this in 1 Peter 3.20, and I'm jumping into it. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Because we know also, according to Scripture, that God's patience and his long-suffering allows us an opportunity for repentance. If God wrote us off the moment that we made a mistake, none of us would be sitting here today. If God turned the page the moment that we made a blunder, none of us would be here today. If he cut us off from being his the moment that we, we, we turned our back or snubbed our nose at God, then none of us. But God's patience and his long suffering gives us opportunity to repent and make amends. That's why Peter uh, was echoing the words of Paul when he said that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation because it allows a space for repentance and it keeps men and women and us even still yet today from perishing because we have an opportunity, a time, amen, to make things right. And so we value the patience of God when we have sinned. I thank God that whenever I am not living right and I've not made amends, that he waits on me. I'm glad even for some people that I know and loved ones and people that still need to come to God that he's not yet called his church home because he's allowing a space still for repentance and making things right. I appreciate his mercy whenever he should be slamming down that gavel of justice in my life with a different verdict than what I should get that God just halts in midair and he's waiting patiently perhaps for a change. I'm thankful today the fact that God suffers long. Amen with me. That's a perk that I have as a Christian. That's, that's a benefit that I have as a Christian. But Sister Margaret, I don't want to trifle with the long-suffering of God. I don't want to trifle with the presence of God. Often we press God, amen, to what we perceive as maybe his limit when it comes to patience. Uh, we, we've tried maybe his patience. Your mom ever said that as a kid as you was growing up? Looked at you, yeah, I know I heard it a time or two. Paul Robert, you're trying my patience. Paul Robert, you're getting on my last nerve. What's that mean? I'm finding mom's limit. 
I'm finding mom's limit. And we tried his patience sometimes. There's times that we've allowed iniquities to abound in our lives, unrepented, amen. We, we voice sorry until sorry has lost its meaning. And yet God still is patient. And he stands with open arms like the prodigal father, the son, the father of the prodigal did open arms as his son came home when it wasn't he that told his son to leave in the first place, but he lost law. He went away from home on his own means and own being. And yet he stood there with open arms to receive his son. God is patient. God, your God. Amen. He takes our verbal abuse. He absorbs our fits of rage sometimes that are directed at him. He assumes the blame that we place upon his shoulders. He listens to all of our little doubtful questions and inquiries that oft times that we have, he entertains those. And when we second guess his love, he's still there. When we blame him for our sorrow, he's still there. Amen. He's still there when we target him as the causes of our disappointment. He suffered long. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful and he is gracious. And if God is impressively long-suffering, then what in the world could set God off toward anger? At least six times in your Bible, the phrase is written that God is slow to anger. How could God's anger in our text be kindled against Moses? After everything I've just conveyed to you about his long-suffering and patience and his endurance, what in the world could tip God toward being angry with Moses? Moses minds his business in this particular story leading up to this critical moment. Moses minds his business, as was his occupation of tending to the sheep and the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, on the backside of a desert. Yet in this daily thing that he would do with the sheep on the backside of the desert, he beholds a bush that is being burned and not being consumed, which was unique in its own right. And not only is a a bush burning and not being consumed is unique, but perhaps this even steps the game up another. He hears a voice coming from the burning bush. He's drawn by the burning bush. He's drawn by the voice of the Lord. He takes the sandals off his feet, amen, because the Lord tells him he's standing on holy ground, amen. And God tells Moses in this instant that he is aware of the heartache of the nation of Israel. He is aware of the heartache of the Israelites that are presently in Egypt being treated as slaves and under the hands of hard bondage. God tells Moses, I've heard their cry and I know their sorrows. And then he goes a step further and he tells Moses that I am coming to deliver them and I am coming to bring them to the promised land. And then he tells Moses, and I will send you. In other words, Moses, I'm going to deliver them from Egypt and I'm going to bring them to the promised land, but I'm going to use you to to do it. I'm going to use you to accomplishment. And it's at that point of information that Moses goes a little bit on the side of the defense. And Moses starts to give all of these objections as to why he's probably not the best choice. All the objections why that probably he should not be used. For number one, I mean, this is like Moses in the court with the defense of why not not, not me. Amen. He begins. He says, for number one, Lord, he said, I don't think it would be very proper for a Midianite shepherd. It wouldn't be appropriate for him to appear in the palace and the court of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Number one, that's probably one reason why I'm probably not the one that should go. Number two, he says, I don't even know your name. I really don't know the name of the one that is that is sending me that will give any credit or credence to the people that I'm going to go talk to. And so for number two, since I really don't know your name, it's just probably not just in the best interest that it would be me. And for number three, he said, uh, you know, he's stacking them all up. And here's the thing about it. If you read the scripture, God is very patient with each one of these objections. Whenever Moses is saying, well, what, well you know, why, why would it be me or who am I? He, he addresses that. 
that. Whenever, whenever Moses says, well, I don't even know who you are, God, he addresses that. He says, tell them that I am that I am sent you. Tell them the Lord of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And so he's very patient with him. He's just walking along with him. Amen. Very kind and courteous and telling him exactly, rebutting, if you will, every reason that Moses is giving for not to. And so Moses comes to the third reason and he says, for the third reason, he said, the people won't even believe me. The people, want, I mean, they're not going to believe I had this session on the backside of a desert. They're not going to believe that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spoke to me in this form and fashion. Here I am with my shepherd's staff and my shepherd. God. They're not going to believe a word that I got to say concerning this whole encounter. God, they're going to need a little bit more proof than just my words and your name. And here's a shepherd that's been on the backside of the desert for 40 days. And God, in his patience and his long-suffering, he did deals with all of these issues. He addresses each of those concerns. He assures Moses it's going to be all right. He shares with Moses his covenant name. He gave Moses three vital signs, right? That would indicate that he was the man that's been called to be the deliverer. Look at the look how understanding that God is being. Moses says, I don't think they'll believe me. God says, okay, what do you have in your hand? rod okay just want to make sure that we all know Moses you and I that this is just an ordinary rod throw it on the ground boom and it's slithering those snakes that we've talked about at different times through this year they're not around right now they're laying low because it's cold thank God and there they are and then God says pick it up by its tail God was doing something magnificent here with a shepherd that's typically on the backside of a desert that knows about snakes you don't typically pick snakes up by their tail. He's a shepherd. He knows this. God's just trying him out, though. Pick it up by its tail. He picks it up by its tail, and it becomes a rod again in his hand. Moses, try that before the people and see if they'll listen. I just don't know, God. I don't know if this is going to be good enough. He says, well, take your hand and put it into your bosom. All right, God, just my hand. Going in, come out. <gasps> White as leprosy. Leprosy all over it. My God. He says, stick it back in your bosom. He does, and he pulls it back out. Oh, just as pure and clean as baby skin. He says, why don't you try that before the people? You say they won't believe you? I'm trying to help you out here. God's long-suffering. God's patience. Gave him one sign, gave him another sign. Yeah, I don't know, God. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good, but I've seen some stuff in my day. No leopard ever been cleansed before for crying out loud, but I've seen some stuff in my day. He says, well, he said, why don't you just dip some of the water, take some water there and pour it on the ground. He takes water, he pours it on the ground, and the water turns into blood. That's pretty good. But God. So the Lord gave him three signs. He says, you take those signs, and you go in before Pharaoh, and you declare. He says, because I'm sending you. I'm going to do this work. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this mission, but I'm going to do it through you. And if those responses were not satisfying enough, Moses starts with yet another objection. Well, Lord, my speech isn't too good. My, 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 my speech, I don't, we don't know if Moses had an impediment. We really don't know. It's not really told to us in Scripture exactly what it was about Moses, but something, some excuse, some reason he's bringing before God. It's my speech is not very good. And at this other objection, right, we're, we're, we're around maybe number four, objection number four, God's handling each one. He's trying to, you know, pacify every worry and every concern. My speech isn't good, God. His long suffering is navigating uh, insecure Moses through all of this objective line, landmines that he had set up. He says to him in verse 11 of our text, And the Lord said unto him and to Moses, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord. For one, a real quick commercial is for everybody to understand that if there is a child that's ever born with something that society would call a disability or deformity, God had a hand in that. I, who made the deaf or the dumb or the seen or the blind? I, the Lord. And with the forbearance of God, God assures Moses that Moses... Whatever state your physical body is in, whatever state, 
whatever state that you have been created or made in. It matters not if you're dumb or if you're deaf or if you're seeing or if you're blind. I, I, the Lord, I have made you as you are. And for that matter, no one, and I repeat, no one should hang their heads due to what society labels as a deformity or a disability or whatever it may be. You need not to be embarrassed by your presumed inability because God has made. God has made you as you are. I don't know, just in the Holy Ghost this morning, there are people that are looking at themselves day in and day out, and they don't like how their ears hang, or they don't like how their nose is positioned on their face, and they're wanting to try to correct this and that. Listen, some of that are things the way that God has made you, and he's made you like that in order to reach a grouping of people that nobody else will be able to reach because he created you in such a way that he has a mission and a plan for you as well. God knew whenever he called Moses, Moses' condition and all of his inadequate so to speak but God said I made you like that because I got a plan for your life amen and so the Lord has been patient I'm trying to put myself in God's shoes here he has been patient patient with the questions patient with the excuses the reasonings the objections the insecurities the concerns but the tipping point for God's anger is when Moses pleads with him in verse 13, I believe it is, and basically tells God this, God, send someone else. Many of the translations that you read in the Bible of this chapter are stated like this, please, Lord, send someone else. Others say, send anybody you want to send as long as it isn't me, God. Someone say Amen. I've come to minister this morning that God is not infuriated by our faults. God is not upset with our failures. God is not, if you will, set off center because of our inadequacies or our myriad questions that we bring to him. But God cannot tolerate when we accuse him of making a mistake. Or telling a lie. Jeremiah had reached a very horrific point and spot of trying to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. He's preaching the word. He's sharing everything that God has shared with him, but the people are not listening. They're not heeding to their voice. They're not correcting their ways. He suffered a lot alongside a very stubborn and obstinate people that would not move. And so Jeremiah's kind of reached his point. He's like, I got a bone to pick with you, God. And he wanted God's attention. And, and, and Jeremiah, here we go. He starts monologuing in scripture. <laughs> Look at Jeremiah 15, 15, or 15, 15. Jeremiah says, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me and visit me and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Look at verse 16. Thy words were found. I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. God, this is what I've done. I, I, I was overwhelmed. I was glad to partake of your word. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You've placed your name upon me. You've endorsed me. Verse 17. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers as other people were mocking and rejecting you. That wasn't me, God. I was set aside from them, those mockers and those that, that did not rejoice. He said, I sat alone because of thy hand. For thou hast filled me with indignation. He said, I was upset that the people were doing that. I was different than they were. I was alone. I was by myself. I was charting a path over here. I was working against the stream that everybody else was flowing in. Verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Will thou, he's speaking to God now, will thou be altogether unto me as a liar? And as water that faileth. Now through Jeremiah's little monologue here, God's just listening. Through Jeremiah's little monologue about how he's just stayed where he needed to stay. The word was sweet to him. He's his person. All this stuff, God is just listening. But the moment that Jeremiah skirts the issue that God might be a liar, Jeremiah, drone on all you want, say anything you want to say. 
complain about what you want to complain about question about what you want to question God will handle the request he'll he'll bear all the projected blame amen you can talk to him like a parent talking to their adolescent but God's not going to stay silent whenever you start attempting to accuse him of making a mistake or being a liar and that's exactly what Moses had done in our text he suggested God how about somebody else for this task God you find somebody else send somebody else for what you have called me to do send somebody else for what you have called me to do listen listen everybody listen I, I, I got still some good preaching in me maybe 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 amen I hope it's good God help us amen Moses is in the middle think with me for a moment Moses is in the middle of a divine encounter on the backside of a desert in front of a burning bush God's revealed his holy name God has promised to be with Moses very uniquely and go along with him on this deliverance journey huh? and Moses was not only called to do this but he had been prepared through the histories of his life that had been developed to bring him to this very critical moment of being God's deliverer he had been born among the Hebrews to Jochebed. Whenever the Hebrews were being thrown in the Nile River, their babies were for death. But he was hid in his mother's house for three months. Moses was born during that time, but spared. He lived during the time that whenever his mom put him in that basket of bulrushes, that Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, took him unto her home, and reared him as her own. He was raised in the courts of Pharaoh he had Egyptian education that flowed unto him he was raised as the prince of Egypt educated by the house of Egypt amen and now he spent 40 years on the backside of a desert amen tending sheep when all of those life experiences are going to be what he needs to be the deliverer to be the deliverer for God's people. He would know how to navigate the wilderness. He would know how to stand in the court of an Egyptian because he was raised in the household of one. He knew the rules. He would know the tendencies of the people all because of his history. He was set up for this moment and yet he looks at God and says, find somebody else. Someone say amen. So with this backdrop, as Moses telling God to send someone else, you know, you almost see Moses. Oh, Moses. Oh, Moses. Bless your pea-picking heart, buddy. God's been so patient with you, and you're like, deliverer? <laughs> you know, a spokesperson for the big man? That's not me. You've got it. You've got it wrong, God. It was at that moment that a very patient, long-suffering God gets angry because God can't lie. You ever had someone call you a liar when you were telling the truth? <laughs> How does that make you feel? What happens in that moment, Kevin, if I start calling you a liar and accusing you of some things that you never did? <laughs> You probably ain't going to be smiling like you are right now, are you? Huh? Nobody likes to be called a liar when they didn't lie. Huh? There's some things that arises in you because what happens, what happens, especially if there's anybody else around, it casts us doubt on anything else that you've ever done. It casts doubt. It casts doubt upon the integrity of who you are, your self-worth, your being, anything else that you've ever done. The moment someone even begins to accuse. It, it, if Moses telling God to send somebody else. Amen. Someone else. You made a mistake. It was an affront to God. It was an affront to God for Moses to even shy away. Listen, this is what I need to drive home. For Moses to shy away from what he'd been called to do. And God, I'm going to throw hankies around today. And God, we'll keep going in a circle. God did not make a mistake. The Bible says in Numbers 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? These are rhetorical, but the answer is yes. Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 
Because see, in Exodus 3 and 10, as, as, as God was having this conversation with Moses, already told him, I'm going to send you. God had spoke to him in verse 10, Moses, I'm going to send, I'm going to deliver, I'm going to bring them out, but I'm sending you, I'm using you in order to do it. You're the man. You're the man I've chosen. You're the man I've called. I know your life from this point backwards. But you're the man that I've called. He said, I will send you. You skip down to verse number six. God's telling Moses again. It's in your word. Go. You skip down to verse number 18. He's telling Moses again with all of his objections. Go. You come to verse number 12 of our text and God is telling Moses again. Go. Listen to they, folks. God, whenever God came to Moses, God wasn't looking for Moses to give him a referral. God was talking to him about his enlistment. God... I'm here to tell somebody today, if God has called you, if God has commissioned you, if God has saved you, he's not come to you looking for a referral of somebody that would be better or somebody that would be more qualified. God is looking for your involvement. God is looking for your enlistment. Peter essentially did the same thing in the New Testament scripture in John chapter 21 after his denials and his faults and his failure meeting at Galilee again with the Lord and they've been fishing they come off of the water on the shore where there's some hot coves and fish upon amen those coves and Jesus spoke unto Peter these words a Peter that had denied a Peter that had blundered but a God that was very patient he says follow me and Peter in the moment amen I guess missing the enlistment and thinking Jesus wanted a referral he says well what about John and the Lord looks back at him he says we're not here talking about John right now we're here talking about you and I'm asking you will you follow me I'm asking you I know you can put up your objections Lord it had not been that long ago three times I denied you he said we're not talking about that we're talking about your call we're talking about your commission we're talking about you following listen Peter I didn't make a mistake in asking the question today someone say amen Already. Oh no 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 no! He said, "What what 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 about what about John Jesus? What about John? He was right there with you, Amen. Through all the trial, he was right there with you, real close, Amen. And the Praetorium and everywhere where the tri- you were, the, John was right there, and and Jesus, John was right there at the foot of the cross with your mama Mary. You were the one that gave John your mother Mary to take care of. What about John, Amen? And Jesus is saying, it's not about. I didn't make a mistake, Peter." Follow me. Did that number say that he cannot lie? Will not God do it? Will he not make good on his promise? God told Moses in verse 18 of chapter 3, God told Moses, Israel will listen. In Exodus 4.1, Moses is saying, God, I don't believe Israel's going to listen. Now you get just what happened there. God says this is what it's going to be. Moses says, I don't think it's going to be like you say it's going to be. You made a mistake, God. You're wrong. We might not be as forceful in it, but we have different ways sometimes of telling God, you're wrong. I know what you said, but the dynamics of everything really don't work in that direction. We don't come right out and say this. But in modes and fashions, we're telling God, you're a liar. Yeah. You're, 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 you're a liar. They, they won't believe me. God said, I'll send you. Moses says, here am I, Lord. Send somebody else. <laughs> and all it takes for God to lose his patience, all it takes, for, all it takes to experience God's anger is to suggest that someone else, someone else, Someone else, God, for the very thing that you have called me to do. I want to tell somebody this morning on this Sunday morning that God didn't make a mistake in saving you. God didn't make a mistake in saving you. God didn't bunt the ball whenever he called you to this church. 
God, God, God didn't, God didn't, if you will, just really had to turn this and that in order for you to make this your home and your setting in this context. No, he has enlisted you in his purpose. He has enlisted you in his plan. And every history of your life leading up to this moment that you want to excuse yourself from being used by God is the same parts of the history of your life he intends to utilize for his glory. The things you want to discount, the Lord wants to raise up and show forth his glory through you and through it. He's not trying to find somebody else. He's interested in you, in what you have to offer and what you have to give. Someone say amen. What are you saying? I'm saying concerning Moses, God needed a shepherd that spent 40 years on the backside of a desert because Moses is going to spend another 40 years in a wilderness. He's going to have to know where water is. He's going to have to know where food is. He's going to have to know how to survive some of the cold nights of the wilderness. God says, I'll put you there for 40 years before you lead a million of people through the wilderness because I'm going to use that part of your life where it seemed like everything was silent, nothing was going on, you wasn't used by God and I'm going to bring you to this moment I've not made I've not made a mistake someone say amen God needed a man whose upbringing and education stemmed from Egypt because that same man now would have to enter into the palace of the Egyptians before the most powerful man, Pharaoh, with all of his counselors and all of the magicians and be able to form his words and speak to, if you will, the rules and the regulations of an Egyptian kingdom. God said, I'll rear you in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years so that at this moment in time that you'll go before him and you'll come back back and forth about getting my people out of Egypt and sooner or later his heart will harden against and he'll acquiesce and he'll say go on and get out of here I know where you've been Moses and I know where I want to take you I've not made a mistake some would say amen That's great, Pastor, for Moses. Well, let me tell you, it's great for you too. Someone maybe said, he's got the wrong person, Pastor. He saved the wrong person. He's got the wrong person. There's times that you've asked me to do this or that, and I was like, eh, you've got the wrong person. And maybe you feel that way sometimes this morning because the only thing you can reflect upon is all the past of your life. Similar things maybe to Moses of what he had. And these things you presume, these are objections, reasons, excuses. These are setbacks for me to go forward. Kevin, what if what we presume to be a setback, God really instituted as a setup? What if what we presume to be a stumbling stone? He says, I'm going to make that a stepping stone. Because God had promised. God had chosen. And listen to me this morning. Look at my beady little eyes here today. God doesn't need somebody else. He wants you. We must go. Hear me this morning. We must go and do what he has called us to do. We got to stop beating around the bush. Those are some of the conversations that just weary me the most. Someone just beats around the bush. They're trimming the hedges. Just cut the hedge down. You got to stop beating around the bush. We must say, here am I, Lord, send me. Rather than send somebody else. We must go. Someone say go. Go. We must go. Why? Because while we're arguing with God over the reasons we can't. While we blatantly tell him no. There was an Israelite being abused in Egypt. 
while we were playing this dance of whether or not we should or shouldn't or if it was us or not, there was a taskmaster's whip being laid to another person's back under the bondage of Egypt. See, while people were awaiting a deliverer, the king of Egypt was still killing their children. Someone say amen. So what are you saying this morning, preacher? I'm saying this. Time need not be wasted on the call because somebody in bondage doesn't have the time to waste. Time cannot be wasted upon the Sunday school teachers that are needed and the youth pastors that are needed and the people that work in every aspect of the church that's needed. Time can't be wasted upon should I, can I, will I because there's people out there that don't have time to waste and we need your ministry. We need your hand. We need your shoulder. We need your voice. It's bleak for somebody right now. It's It's bleak for somebody right now. God, stand with me. Stand with me. Stand with me. Let's raise our hands, please. God is long-suffering. God is patient. But if you want to find his tipping point, then just tell God he needs to send somebody else when he's called you. Instead of worrying about our supposed insufficiencies, we need to just best trust his ability and his call to use us to help deliver whoever he would wish to deliver. Because God, please hear me again, God has not made a mistake. God has not lied. He will deliver Yes, even by sending you. Brother Mason, if you can begin to play as we come to altar time of this service. The beginning of our sermon this morning, I explained to you of Moses ascending the Mount of God with that second table, tablets of commandments, a little meekly. It's even there that the Lord declared his long-suffering and patience to Moses. But the reason why Moses broke the first set of stones of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 32, he did this because as he was up on the Mount of God, the nation of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai were dancing and shouting around a golden calf. They claimed that that calf, or at least the goad that was used to make that calf, they claimed that those things, those gods, that goad, that they would go before them and lead them. Because Moses had went up in the mountain. He had been up there for so long. They was wondering if he's ever going to come down. And they're saying, what do we even know of this Moses? And so they were like, let's, you know, let's find something else to keep leading us. And so this calf and this goat and all that, they presume to be the very thing. Moses is lingering. He brought them out of Egypt at this point. He had brought them out of Egypt. But he's currently absent. So the people suggesting someone or something else to lead them on. If I'd say it like this, the people had decided that something else could and would do what Moses was called to do. And it's amazing. Because when Moses comes down and he sees and he experiences and he learns about all this, Bible says that Moses' anger waxed hot. In Scripture, you can read it in Numbers, I believe it is, he is labeled as the meekest of men. Moses is. The meekest of men in his generation. Meaning he knew how to have, he had power, but he knew how to control it. He was the meekest of men in his generation of Scripture. And yet at this moment, he's becoming angry. 
he in essence is this assuming the viewpoint of God because God became angry when Moses suggested another for his task and now Moses is getting a little perturbed whenever there's other people offering something else to do what he was called to do seems out of character for Moses it seems out of character for God but what it comes down to is this they will not stand by and allow anyone to claim that God has made a mistake because he didn't not with Moses not with Tamar not with Ruth not with David not even with you I wonder if we could close our eyes all across this place and people that maybe even had raised some objections and reasons and excuses in their mind today as I've been preaching well brother McGee I can't because or I'm not the person because or da 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 because he knows your histories but he's calling you to a future you for many of us it's, it's not been some type of real generality thing he has called us and listen if, he, if the call's been made if the question has been asked through somebody particularly if it's been asked through me I hope that God is using me to help facilitate the call and if so please don't turn around and say nah that's not me because Moses could have did the same and did God hasn't made a mistake God has not lied and please don't anger God by suggesting he needs to find somebody else he's called you to somebody else for what he's called you to these altars are open this morning is there anybody that could just come this morning and thank him for his long suffering and thank him for his patience but can we in the same moment then identify what he has purposed for us not to excuse ourselves from it not to reject it not to shrug it off but embrace it if he said they're going to believe they're going to believe if he said i'm going to make you to prosper moses in that area did moses face some hardships absolutely but at the end of the day when moses goes up on the mountain and he dies and joshua comes in his stead they go over jordan into the promised land that they were traveling to because god was faithful to his promise and he was a god that did not lie and a god that did not make a mistake and as it was true for them so it is true for us this morning collectively and individually in our personal lives can we come right now as many as will god's tipping point god's tipping point he's not asking for a referral he's asking for your enlistment today he's asking for you to get in the yoke with him today hallelujah thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day